0: Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. This is Messiah Matters, number 373. Raise a cup of grape juice. It's 2022. My name is
1: Caleb Haig. (laughs) Okay, you lost me there, but the best I can do is a, uh, what do they call these? A camping cup, ceramic, of uh, water Mm. I'm Rob Banna. Yeah. So you're not
0: going to have to worry about that music uh, going out too soon now. I fixed it, it's gonna go forever, it's just gonna end. So just get your groove on everybody, it's all good. What's up everybody in the chat room? Boy, we got a lot, we got a lot of a good things going on. Got a lot of good things going on right now. I gotta say, I am pumped, I got new desks up here. The information station is coming into full view. The ship is about ready to take off. Nice. Up in the cockpit right now, but not for long. I feel like I'm really quiet. Hang on just a sec. Let me fix this. Okay. Um. Yeah. Rob,
1: how you been, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. I'm. Uh, check. I'm check, happy. check. 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 I'm just trying
0: to. I'm trying to f- see. I I moved all my stuff around, and I think that I might have accidentally bumped something, and uh, so I'm trying to trying to fix it up here. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to, uh, today. We have several things that uh, that uh, Rob has not he has not seen yet, seen nor heard. Neither. And uh, <laughs> I'm excited for this. It's going to be good. I has not seen nor ear has heard. That, that's right. Okay. Let's let's jump. Well, actually, before we do that, before we do that, let's let's give some props to our producers. And uh, there are producers right there. If you'd like to be a producer, you can do so. And uh, you can do do that by going to TorResource.com and uh, becoming an, a, a, a supporter of the show. And uh, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate all the people who are supporters of this show. And uh, there are others as well. And we need to uh, constantly re- remind ourselves to thank the people who make this show possible. Thank you very much. You're awesome. Um, yeah, and then also, well, as actually, let's... Let's move until our uh, producers... Actually, you know what? I just realized. For some reason, John's name is in bright yellow, but everybody else is in white. So apparently, John is our super special producer of the, uh, <laughs> of the show. So <laughs> I'll fix Night. it. Anyway, okay. Uh, you can also be a part of this show, and you can do that by giving us a call 253-465-3205 it's 253-465-3205 if you can't remember the number just listen to the song and remember that messiah matters wants to hear from
2: you leave us a comment a question
0: or two all righty and you can also shoot us an email chegg at torresource.com It's c-h-e-g-g at torresource.com You can find all sorts of great and wonderful things at TorahResource.com. Things that are free, things that you can pay for. You can find all of our past episodes at MessiahMatters.com. And finally, last but not least, please make sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel. We really appreciate it. It might not seem like it does anything, but it actually does great things for us. And, uh, if you are already great things, great things, indeed. (laughs) And if you are already subscribed, go ahead and give us a thumbs up. We appreciate that too. Okay. Let's jump in. This is going to be a fun day. Initially. I thought we didn't, weren't going to have enough to talk about. I feel like that every week, by the way, but, uh, certainly we have more than enough. In fact, this is probably going to turn into two or three shows. I want to get to the voicemails first and foremost, Rob has not heard these. And so I think that we're going to start where to start? I think we're going to start, start with our main topic, because why not? Um, did I get my—oh, well, maybe not. Okay. I got to get them up here. Uh, let's move first to this, then. Juniper T. says, at the end of the day, whether one is Hebrew roots, Torah observant, or whatever everyone wants to call or not call themselves, saying that, yes, you're justified and saved by grace alone through faith, but you still have to keep the law because it's the covenant. This is what I'm hearing from all these groups, including this one. Uh, Yeah, I don't, I actually don't understand why that is such a problem for people. Right? I mean,
1: we are covenant members. And so what goes along with it? Well, even even in the reformed tradition, they're going to say, we have to keep the law of God. The question is where, uh, so the issue is not whether you have to keep God's law or not. Right. In reformed circles, it's. What define you know, get down to the nitty gritty. What constitutes as, as exactly excellent point. Yeah. So ultimately,
0: what I hear this person asking is, okay, so you're saying we have to keep the law. And the answer is, yeah. I think everybody would, every Christian who's really serious about a relationship with God would say, yeah, this is the basis of our faith is, the covenants. Uh, you know, covenant membership is in fact what we're talking about. I I think that covenant membership is actually the gospel message. In other words, when we look at the Abrahamic covenant, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, how will they be blessed? Well, go to the next covenant. The D- Davidic covenant tells us how they'll be blessed. The Messiah is going to come and the government will rest on his shoulders, right? We see this in Isaiah and, and all, and there will never lack, Judah will never lack someone on the throne. And how, okay, well, how is this possible? How can we actually be in the uh, divine presence of, you know, the presence of the divine, all holy, all glorified God? And the answer is, well, we have to be sinless to be able to do that. We personally can't do that. And so Christ comes to allow us to come back into covenant relationship with God. And what comes along with a covenant? Stipulations. There, there is covenant stipulations, and those covenant stipulations are written on our hearts. So I don't see a problem at all saying, yeah, of course, we have to keep the covenant obligations. Rob's right, though. The, the question that uh, I think is... is I think where the debate comes in is well, okay. What are the covenant ob- obligations?
1: You know, and the the spirit of Messiah is a covenant keeping spirit. It's yes. it fulfills the Torah. It it um, is a. I mean, when we talk about the spirit of the Son that's in our hearts, we have to ask: Is that a law? Is that a lawless spirit? Yeah, not. It's not.
0: Exactly. And so the point, the point here for me is, is that I think let's, let's move just, let's shift it just a little bit. I think that if we look into a lot of the reform circles, such as the Presbyterians, you know, the Presbyterians, the, those who hold to a conservative faith of Presbyterian, Presbyterianism, and those who hold to a conservative Baptist faith tend to be what I would call Sabbatarians. Now, granted, they're going to say that the Sabbath has been moved to Sunday. I would disagree with that fact, but the fact still remains that they should be considered Sabbatarians in that, you know, uh, my grandfather would not spend money on Sunday. He he walked to church. Why did he do that? Because it was the Sabbath. And he he for him, he thought that he needed to keep the Sabbath. And if you look at even modern day, now I know R.C. Sproul is, is passing with the Lord now, but If you look at R.C. Sproul, he talks about the Sabbath day and what's he talking about?
1: He's talking about Sunday, sure. Same with like John Piper. Right, exactly. I remember reading like Desiring God and he's quoting like Isaiah 56. And it's just, I'm just like, man, everything here is just like Shabbat, Shabbat. And then that flip, which I consider as a speck in the eye of our Reformed brothers. I don't consider that a log in their eye. I consider that it's just a little speck. And we got to get the log out of our own, own eye so that we can help them with right. the speck that's in their eye. It's I mean, not a, it, it, because, yeah, we're just saying the same thing. I mean that, that, it's a heart that loves God and sees great value and precious, uh, of preciousness of God's law. It's right. just there's a there's, admittedly, some historical. Now, I know. I, I know. I know what people are going to say. We're going to get. We're going to
0: get uh, uh, comments on this YouTube video. And people are going to say, "Are you saying that the Sabbath doesn't matter, or are you saying that it doesn't matter if a person worships on uh, Sunday?" Well, first of all, I think a person can worship any day of the week. And every day of the week, and they should. We should. We should, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so that's not the issue. I have issue. one day I don't worship. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the point is, is no, I, I do think that, that the day of the Sabbath is specific. I think it's important, and, I, and I'm not trying to downplay that. But what I'm saying is what we're really arguing over here with our Christian brothers and sisters when it comes to ju- this issue of Sabbath observance. Now, there are some who are just going to say, it was fulfilled. <clears throat> and we don't have to keep it anymore. And now we keep it spiritually. And even this, in my mind, is a, a change in... It, it's not... For those who would say that, I don't think that they're saying that it's abolished. I think that they are saying the application has changed. The application has changed from a Saturday worship to a spiritual worship. Now, right. yeah. I thoroughly disagree with this. I don't want people to think that I don't disagree with this. But at the same time... What we're we're not necessarily you know everybody keeps saying oh well the Christians say that the the you know the mainstream Christian church says the S- Sabbath is done away with, yeah but when we when we really dig into that what what's actually going on I think it's a change of application now once again I disagree with I have to say this a hundred times because I can already hear the comments being typed but the point is is that yes we do disagree but it's a disagreement in application and not necessarily a disagreement in the abolishment of God's law.
1: If yeah, works. Luther. You know, I grew up with the real conservative Lutheran tradition, and right. the interpretation in the catechism of the Sabbath commandment is that it is whenever the Word of God is preached, that we are to like make that the priority to 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 gladly hear it and learn it and keep it. So um, Luther divorced. Uh, the the biblical concept of Sabbath from, from time altogether. Right. Whereas like some, like you were pointing out in the reform tradition, move it to Sunday. Well, 16- but in any event, it's always an application. It's not in it. We're, we're all agreeing that, that there's a value. The difference is how our understanding of history and, you know, particularly the, the Jewish uh, question of whether these were, Jewish cultural things that were temporary, or were they actually covenantal things for the Church forever?
0: And, and, you know, it should be also noted that in the 1689 Baptist Confession, they say that the Sabbath is to be kept. It's specific. The Sabbath is to be kept, and it is a day of rest. What do they say, though? Unfortunately, they say in that confession that this has been changed to Sunday, and they come right out and say that. I mean, it's not even a. I mean, they don't sugarcoat it at all. It's you know, and the Sabbath has been changed <laughs> to Sunday, to the Lord's Day. It's like, oh, why? Anyway, okay, let's move on. Now that I have my, now that I have my audio pulled up. Sorry about that, everybody. Let's go to this one. This one's okay. So I have to precursor to this. I usually try to keep my uh, audio clips around a minute. However, this brother has a lot to say. And I felt like his initial question—it's an initial question—but then he expands, and we're going to give him. Normally, I don't allow any uh, promotion of other <laughs> platforms. Uh, I don't even allow URLs to be pa- posted in our um, in our chat. However, we're going to give this brother a little bit of uh, a little bit of promotion here—not promotion, because I I wouldn't p- necessarily promote it—but he's going to mention his blog and and his YouTube channel and. So we'll send you a bill for the advertisement.
3: Hey, Caleb uh, and Rob. Uh, My name's John Bryan. I've actually uh, called you before. Uh, You may remember back in the summer. Uh, I just was going to try to see if you guys would would consider um, discussing this. I I know you don't, uh, or you have mentioned that you've given up alcohol, and that's that's really good. But... uh, You know, I've been a Baptist uh, all my life, uh, grew up as a teetotaler, and my family's all, you know, all that was the same way. But uh, I started doing some—it's kind of got a burrow in my saddle, sort started researching out, see what the Bible says about wine uh, in regards to, uh, is it acceptable for a Christian, or is it considered a sin just to even drink it? And
0: uh, Okay, so well, let's stop for just a second. First question has been posed now. Is it a sin for a Christian to drink alcohol? That's not why I quit drinking alcohol, by the way. But, but, fair enough. Um, so that's question number one. Now let's keep going because he actually dives deeper here. Uh,
3: you know, of course, I the results of my study. I studied for about three months, and I, you know, I don't know Hebrew or Greek, uh, but um, you know, I used the King James version and Strong's Concordance, and and my result was that uh, not only was wine acceptable, it was actually you know given as a drink offering, which I had never noticed before. Um, and, uh, you know, such and so forth, of course. And, uh, but I got into some trouble with, uh, cause I have a blog. It's the objective perspective on WordPress. And I have a YouTube channel as well, but I did a blog on that topic. I got some kickback from some folks in my church. In fact, My pastor, um, who challenged and said that there is no way in the world that Yeshua would have drink, uh, wine, uh, because Proverbs says wine is a mocker and, uh, Yeshua would have never been in his body, that would have uh, caused him to go down the road of being a mocker. And, uh, you know, nothing I could, no verse I could point him to could sway him from that, and that's fine. And and the argument I was trying to make is not that we should all go out and get slammed every Friday night, but uh, I just was trying to bring some clarity and some truth to a, a doctrine that I feel is uh, false.
0: Yeah, so th- th- question number two then is what do we do with Proverbs 20 verse 1? Wine is a mocker. Now, uh, I, I am a little bit, uh, I don't know, I, I feel for this brother a little bit because my, my grandparents were teetotalers and in the same Baptist tradition. I can tell this brother, first of all, straight away, you're not going to convince your pastor. No matter No matter what evidence you bring, it doesn't matter what you say, you could have a verse in the Bible that says, it's okay to drink wine. You could show it to him and he's not gonna accept that. And the reason why is because this tradition runs deep. It runs super deep. This is part of a culture and a heritage uh, that is not gonna be let go of. You know, it doesn't matter. I It's the same with, you know, with my grandparents, smoking was the same way. If you were a smoker, it was kind of the uns, it was the unsaid rule that you were going to hell. You know, like that person needs to be prayed for that he'll be saved because he's a smoker kind of a thing. And obviously the Bible never says that, but it's ingrained in, you know, and honestly, the Torah, you know, an anti-Sabbath festivals, kosher laws, that's ingrained too. And this is one of the reasons that it's been so difficult for um, for those who hold to uh, such things to Talk with people in the church. It doesn't matter what verses we show or how we interpret those verses. People in the church have an ingrained tradition. Now, with that said, let's move to the two, uh, the two questions. The first one is: Is it a sin to drink alcohol? I think it, I think obviously it is not. Uh, we can point to Yeshua himself. Yeshua clearly drank wine. Actually, uh, my prof this this past week in one of uh, in one of our live classes said. Uh, Back in the first century, they didn't have all the, you know, they didn't, they weren't drinking juice. That's not what they had. They had water, milk, wine, and alcohol, alcoholic beverage. That was, that was about it. Now. He went into this a little bit, and it's, it's interesting. I had never considered this before. He, my prof said, well, the alcohol, what we think of as alcohol today, it's not the same kind of alcohol that they had back then. And the reason why is because the Augustinian monks in the uh, Middle Ages figured out that you actually have to have a sealed pot to be able to make that fermentation really take hold and, and really get that alcohol to, to produce. And so they, they had what we would consider like really mild alcoholic beverage compared to what is today. So all those people who are against the uh, the Christian church and the Messianic and Torah movement, just remember that you have the Augustinian monks to thank for alcoholic <laughs> beverages, uh, not just preserving the New Testament, but also beer. Um, so, but now let's go back to the first century. In the first century, they did have alcoholic, uh, alcoholic beverage. In fact... Uh, <laughs> I've never been to prison, but I've watched a lot of documentaries. And the kind of the kind of wine that they're that they were making back in the first century, I think was essentially the same kind of alcohol that they're trying to make in prison. And what they do is they take uh, they take fruits and they put them into a bag with a bunch of sugar, and they just let them sit until it ferments. And this is the same kind of uh, process I assume that they probably had probably a little bit more sophisticated than that. but in the first century, Beyond this, in the first century, what they did was they would they would actually water down their wine. In fact, there's a lot of uh, there is a lot of uh, talk about what happens if a person doesn't water down their wine. In fact, there's one cup within the Dapnon, the the Greco Roman uh, banquet, where one cup that was offered to one of the gods was not watered down, and this is I think what everybody was kind of uh, looking looking for forward to was this un watered down. Drink. So, with all of that said, was Yeshua drinking wine? Certainly, he was drinking alcohol. There's no doubt about it. uh, There's just, there's absolutely no evidence to the contrary. They were not drinking juice. They didn't have juice in the first century like we think of it. Uh, They they preserved it by trying to make it alcoholic. This is what they did, and so they were drinking a what I would consider a very watered down, maybe like in in Sweden. I'll quit talking here in just a second, Robin. I'm going to throw it over to you. But in Sweden, they have uh, like this beer that you can drink that's meant to dr- be drank all night long. And it's like a 3%. It has 3% alcohol. And so, can you, you know, are you going to get, are you going to get saucy over it? The answer is no. You're not going to get saucy over a 3% alcohol. Does it taste like beer? Yeah, it tastes like beer. And uh, so it's meant that you can drink that as much as you want. Then you can throw in a, Full, a full, you know, full octane at any point you want and, and ramp up the night. That's what it's made for. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of first century alcohol is this watered down kind of 3% maybe alcoholic beverage that they were drinking. But were, was he getting, was he getting, you know, was Yeshua and his disciples getting slammed? Very doubtful. What do you think, Rob?
1: <laughs> well, I think, yeah, there was various ways of production. You know, what we know that in the in the Tanakh, you know, there's such thing as drunkenness. There's such thing as strong drinks. So I think it was understood culturally that, uh, that there were some drinks were more potent than others. Right. And they understood that also that people could abuse that. Like you could have a group of men that would go separate themselves from society and maybe moral family obligations, et cetera, and, and get, get drunk, you know, sure. so that they, I, I think that that is, um, understood. It's even a metaphor. I think in Isaiah, like they're drunk, but not with wine. In other words, that they're, it's using drunkenness as a metaphor a poetic picture of people who are consumed by the flesh uh, in the things of this world and ignoring the things of God.
2: Yeah, but just, be-
1: just, would- just because that danger was there doesn't mean that uh, that it was forbidden for everybody um so uh yeah, I, I like was it is it John? Is that his name? Think uh, uh Objective thank you.
0: Objective Perspective. I only know that uh, because he's super chatted. Okay, us. well so, thank
1: you for the the voicemail. I, I appreciate the l- time. Hang on, let's get his name
0: one more time that he what, took uh, what, to, what, what horrible oh. hosts we are. Good gracious. What
3: hang on. Hey Caleb uh and Rob. Uh my name's John Bryan. Yeah, you are yeah, right, John. John Bryan. All right. Yeah, Sorry, John. Yeah,
1: thanks, John. I, I appreciate hey that you took the time to research it in spite of being in a tradition that really had the the road was paved a certain direction and you were willing to pause and, and consider the traditions of men over against the word of God. That's always a difficult path. And I think it's good that you did that. I would just encourage you, you know, just obviously, if, if you're in a community that doesn't want to do that, then my recommendation is don't do it with abstain, when you're with right. them. Yeah, just don't. Um, right? I would go. I would go farther
0: than that. If you have pastors and you have brothers and sisters in the Lord who think that you are going to be sinning, if then I would say you should take extra steps to make sure that yeah, you're, yeah. They, they don't that there's no alcohol, you know, even seen around you because you Paul don't. Paul want... made
1: the same point regarding me. He says if someone thinks that I'm transgressing because of the meat I mean I'll just not eat meat right. you know and uh, because
0: I, I don't I don't want people to think that I don't think that there was the ability to get drunk in the first century there certainly was and I also believe that there was strong drink right I mean we read in in the Torah that if you if you can't bring your offering then you uh you you take the money that you would have spent on the offering and you buy whatever your heart's desire and it includes strong drink. so obviously they had the ability to make strong drink. What I'm saying is that the average drink that was was at banquets that was at dinner time and those kind of things um, was a very mild alcoholic beverage like a juice and I think that this was the standard and I think that even, there were no drinking ages. I think that even young children were, it was, you would drink this. There's, it wasn't, people weren't going out and getting bombed off of it. They were, you know, this was a standard drink. That's how I understand it. Now, I I am more than happy to be, seen, to be shown evidence to the contrary. But the point here is, is that the standard, to my understanding is that the standard drink was a very mild alcoholic beverage
1: that everyone drank.
0: That's right, what I understand. Right. Okay, let's go. Yeah, to- and and
1: and uh, just some final points. So yeah, just because it's abused, but see, in our culture, I can understand why we have traditions such as the the teetotalers, like like John put it. Caleb said he's comes from that tradition too. In America, when you had wide scale abuse of alcohol in conjunction with other morally, uh, you know. Against God behaviors that were like occurring over and over and over again in society, that you could see why the church wants to shore up a, a protective stance. Right. Um, but
0: oh, we see this you know, in the Jewish when, tradition when you have you, the right? temple
1: and you have, like John pointed out, the the drink offerings and things happening and uh, production of wine as an agricultural, uh, well, vineyards, you know, and and uh, uh, other ingredients that would have gone into wine, maybe date palm, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Like you're talking about fruits that ferment with a beverage Um, that it's, that it's not to be seen as a bad thing in and of itself. And Paul, Paul cautions us about, you know, moderation in anything. Be filled with the,
0: be, uh, be not filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. And and this is interesting. This might come in, in a few weeks because we're in mid-March. We come to the holiday of Purim. And Purim right. is in the in the Jewish tradition, yeah. the rabbinic tradition, subsequent to the seven, to the to 70 AD, you know, uh subsequent probably it's what? How old is the drinking tradition? Just a couple hundred Sh- years old. Maybe yeah. The Shulchan Shulchanuk. Okay. So the idea of getting plastered on Purim so that you can't differentiate between Mordecai and Haman, you know, right. is obviously that's has roots somewhere outside of the Bible. Yeah. Um, um,
0: so before we, before we move to the second portion of John's question, which is Proverbs 20 verse one, let's uh, address the super chats. Thank you all for the super chats, both from John and from Mary. And uh, I'm going to play you guys. Let's see here. I want to do a couple, uh, oh, oh, do I have this? I think how do I get that? I wonder if I can play. Do you it have a, what you get to play? Hang on just a sec.
1: Weights and measures.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, that one didn't work.
1: All right. Hang on, let I do heard it. Again. I heard that. know. Oh, no, oh. I know, but I was trying oh. to do a different one. Oh, that's and not I'm the one. I'm
0: trying to see if
1: uh, Caleb, we need to get you one of those. It's like a console with just a bunch of buttons
0: on I, it. I yeah, I know. I just need to go get one. Okay. Hang <laughs> on just a sec. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we go.
1: Weights and measures. <laughs>
3: Oh. Do you hate the Rob and Caleb show?
2: Oh. Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. <laughs> You've been blessed. I,
0: I hope that everybody can hear all that. I don't I don't know if they can. That's right? old school. That, that, that is old school. I don't know if it, I don't know if that actually played out to our. If it didn't, Did you, then we look like total morons. But I heard it. Did everybody else hear it? I heard it too. So I don't know. My, <laughs> I've. Here's the thing. Just, just to give myself excuses. Okay, I moved my office, and when I moved at home, uh, everything got disconnected, and my computer had to totally reload everything. So, um, okay. Yes. Thanks. We heard it. Okay. Good. Otherwise, we would have looked like morons just dancing yeah, around. We're like, <laughs> we're dancing around and nothing's going on. Okay, let's um, let's go to the the second portion of of uh, John's question and the second portion I of John. Don't know half of you oh, as s- well as I should s- like, sorry. And I like less than half of the as well as you deserve. I, I apologize. <laughs> uh, my sound order is still up. Okay, uh, you're right though, Rob. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go buy one of those boards. Okay, here we go. Um, the second portion of his uh, question was about wine as a mocker. So. Uh, John explained that his pastor uh, said, no, Yeshua would have never drank wine because the Proverbs say wine is a mocker. Now, this Mm, this is actually kind of a classic to me. It it sounds like a classic rabbinical uh, argumentation in that it's kind of a verse taken out of context. And the reason why is because you got to read that whole verse. Uh, It's it's uh, Proverbs 20, verse one. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So obviously the caveat here is led astray by it. In other words, wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler, but that to those who are led astray by it. In other words, uh, is anyone who has a, a cup of wine all of a sudden a mocker? And is anyone who has a cup of, uh, you know, a, a beer, a brawler? The answer is No. You know, I know plenty of people who handle their alcohol just fine. They'll have a drink every once in a while. You know, my father will have a, a glass of wine every once in a while, and, and uh, it's no big deal. Uh, even though he was raised in that teetotaler tradition, which is funny that, anyway. So the point here is, is that uh, when does wine become a mocker and, a, and strong drink a brawler when it's abused? And that's true. Have you ever said, how many times have you heard somebody say, oh man, yeah, I, I, I like a couple of drinks every once in a while, but I can't have tequila. Or, or I can't have, but I can't have whiskey because if I do, watch out. Why is that? Because people tend to, they can't ha- handle their alcohol in certain situations. They, too much will get them into a state of, of ridiculousness. And so the point here is, is not that anyone who drinks a, a, you know, you have a, I knew a guy one time, this is a true story, I knew a guy one time, he was convinced that if you had one glass of wine, it was exactly the same as having six, six bottles of beer. It didn't matter. One glass of wine, you know, if you, if you had any, it was the same as having a ton. And uh, obviously, he'd never drank in his life. And that's fine. I You know, I pray that my children would rather take the, uh, the road of never drinking in their life and just assuming that uh, alcohol is going to do horrific things to you than be the person who is, you know, a total idiot who drinks too much. You know what I mean? Cause I think that uh, in my life I've been that total idiot who has drank too much. And that's one of the reasons I don't drink today.
1: So, yeah. So this is back, back to moderation. There's another proverb 2320 do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. So in both cases, we're talking about moral behavior, moderation, and you know, having wisdom, like what, what's important is that we, have characters, you know, that are developed by our love from God, love of God, right? And that we behave seemly, right? We behave in ways of of holiness and righteousness and purity, and wine is not a contradictory to that.
0: Well, I mean, look, John. Not, neither is
1: eating meat, John. Once again, and John's in the
0: chat room right now, by the way. But John, once again, you're not going to convince your pastor of this. However. In the 1689 Baptist Confession, which I assume your pastor is going to hold to, the 1689 Baptist Confession specifically states that that Scripture interprets Scripture. You can't just take an obscure verse and say, Aha, see, we can never drink because wine is a brawler. No, you have to take it in context of the rest of the Scriptures. The rest of the Scriptures say that drink offerings, alcoholic drink offerings are offered to God. They're poured out on the altar. We see that Yeshua drinks wine. We see that um, there's wine all over the the scriptures. And if you read the other passages about abstaining from wine, what does it say? Wine in excess, right? It's it's talking about wine in excess. Now, I will I will say that your pastor is probably right that he shouldn't be drinking if he's in leadership because I think that. Now, I shouldn't say, I, I don't think that all leaders shouldn't drink, but I think that the point here is is that we're told that a, a, a elder and a, a leader of a congregation should not be given to too much wine, and I think that this is important because, you know, one of the biggest uh, ways to lose uh, faith in a pastor is to see him get bombed.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and also in the Torah we have, after the setting up of the Mishkan in the wilderness, you have Aaron's two oldest sons, not of an Avihu, they go in and offer strange fire yeah. consumed. And then later, right on the heels of that, now it doesn't tell us they were drunk, but the commandment comes instantaneously. You shall not go any time in there and you shall not uh, be drunk when you go in there. Now, I'm it, p- totally paraphrasing. Sure. I think Leviticus like 10, Leviticus 11, maybe. Let's, ooh. Leviticus 9 and 10. Let's play, let's play the devil's advocate here. Okay.
0: Let me play the devil's advocate here.
2: Yeah, I'll wait. let you do that, Caleb. You're, oh, thank you're good you. at
0: that. No. So if the so if the uh, if the command is that you're not allowed to enter the tabernacle or the temple okay, while being while being drunk, if we are now uh, temples of the Holy Spirit, and our worship is done wherever we dwell, and if we should be in a constant state of prayer, as Paul says, pray without ceasing, then. Should a uh, believer, uh, and obvi- I already I know the response already because <laughs> I uh, anyway should a believer then uh, be drinking?
1: Thoughts. Here's the passage. Okay. Uh, it's Leviticus ten verse eight and on. It says the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, "Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you or your, nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting." so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean. And so as to teach the sons of Israel, all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. So this I I see is a a commandment given concerning the priesthood in their service that parallels what you're talking about, Caleb, with leaders in the church that to have the this clear uh, distinction between holy and profane teaching the statutes etc but the qualifications when you come into the tent of meeting
0: agreed um, so i was going to say that i i don't think that believers should be getting bombed
1: oh i agree and, i agree and, and, and so and so i
0: think having, scripture's
1: clear on that
0: having a glass of wine is different than having five glasses of wine and i think that i think that that is uh, i think that that's important and actually so this actually goes into a different uh realm because john makes an interesting statement here he says our church creed says members shouldn't drink at all but paul tells timothy that deacons shouldn't be given too much wine by implication not prohibiting any wine now i actually think that if you have put yourself under the leadership of that congregation you have willingly put yourself under that leadership and you've agreed to and you have gone basically become a member of that church you've done so knowing that your church says you shouldn't, uh, that that according to them you're not going to drink if you're part of that congregation. in, in that in that situation, I don't think you should drink. You know, I, <laughs> I when I went to the Evangelical Theological Society, when I entered the Southern Baptist uh, uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, I signed a a, a, a statement saying uh, an agreement saying that I wouldn't drink any alcohol. Now that wasn't that wasn't a problem for me because I don't drink, but. Uh, Someone at the ET, at the ETS said, "Well, you know, there's a lot of people who sign that thing, and you know, they, nobody, nobody cares." But to me, I signed it. In other words, I gave my I gave my word. I basically signed a contract. We could even call it a covenant. There, there, that was a mole, Caleb.
1: They're like, "I'm gonna test. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna go, Hey, Caleb. <laughs> no one, no one. Let's go get a beer. They're like <laughs> testing your resolve. Like.
0: But I mean, the point <laughs> is, is that even if I decided I was going to start drinking. I wouldn't be able to do it in my own mind because in good I've, conscience, in yeah, good right. conscience, because I've already signed something with the Southern Baptist, uh, uh, you know, theological seminary saying I won't drink while I'm a student here. So, in the same respect, I think that if you have submitted to yourself to church leadership and you are under the authority the, the spiritual authority of those leaders, and they have made it known as a member you're not allowed to drink, I think that you should respect that.
1: Yeah. Right. Otherwise, what what's the alternative? The alternative is that you're gonna. Um, Harbor a secret behavior, right? Um, and that you're not going to be able to share, right? You know what I mean? That you, you, you're. That's a divisive spirit. Actually, you're actually. That's. There's no good fruit. And come if about. you
0: have children, they will out you. My daddy drinks wine. every, oh.
1: you know, <laughs> Dad had some last week. Yeah, exactly. No. My no, dad. But likes beer the point wine is not that you, you be outed You don't before the Lord, like Caleb's saying. You, you, you don't want that. I mean, that's just. We're not called to. To do that, to harbor secret weird behaviors, you well, know, I, that are, I would, that are, I that are
0: actually, contrary. I would actually say that I think that that in that in that scenario, you have submitted to authority, and now you are you are bound by that authority, unless they're going directly against Scripture. You know, the, this comes into we can bring this into Torah observance too for outside the you know outside the mainstream Christian church. Um, I am a big advocate, and I mean a big advocate, that Yeshua celebrated the the traditional calendar. I believe that he celebrated the traditional calendar. I think that he followed the majority. Okay, so if I went to, if I started going to a congregation that celebrated Shavuot, and they said, well, we start counting after the weekly Sabbath, not after the festival Sabbath. If I was going to integrate myself into that community, and I was going to be under that leadership, what would I do? The answer is, I would probably celebrate as well on the days that I thought were the actual days, but I would certainly celebrate with with that congregation, and I wouldn't make a big deal about it. I wouldn't sit there and... Down, you know, oh, this is ridiculous. This isn't the right day. I wouldn't do any of that. I would submit to the authority and I would come and I'd worship on that day with my brothers and sisters in the congregation. So when we put ourselves under spiritual authority, what we're doing is we are actually saying, I will adhere to the rules that this congregation has put forward unless they specifically go against the scriptures because sola scriptura. All right. Should we move on? Anything else to say on all of that? That's a good good topic. It is a great topic. All yeah, we'll right.
1: Probably, we'll probably touch on it again as, you know, Purim comes
0: around and then That's right. Pesach. 253 465 3205. It's 253 465 3205. That's how John got a hold of us. And you can get a hold of us and leave us messages. We listen to every single one of them. So if you want to leave us a message, go ahead and call that number. You can also shoot us an email, cheg at com. c h e g g at dot calm. Okay, we have another one and and uh this one is really fun um because I, I don't know. Maybe com- maybe I'm too- maybe I like controversy too much. Um here we go. Uh yeah, let's just take a listen. I I tried to bump the the uh the gain on this. It's pretty quiet, so I hope our listeners can hear it, but uh, uh it's it's blasted as far up as I could get it without ma- yeah.
2: Yes, Caleb. My name is Nelda Bell. Um, and my question is this, because I've never really heard anybody discuss this first. So in Romans 11, when Paul's talking, 11 toward the end, 15, I guess, when, when Paul's talking and he says that he hopes that in giving the word to the Gentiles, he will provoke his, that we, Gentiles, will provoke his brothers, the Jews, to jealousy. My question is this. How do we in the church look any different enough? Look different enough to provoke the Jews to jealousy? It's been the that verse has been the verse that's grabbed my heart. I'm kind of doing a study on it personally on my own right now, and would just like to hear y'all's thoughts on that right now. How do we in the church provoke the Jews to jealousy? How do we look? different enough to make them want to come to us and learn about Yeshua.
0: This is a really good
1: question. You know, it, I didn't catch her name. Nelda. Nelda thank Bell. You, thank you, Nelda. What a great, great, uh, and I, yeah, that was a little quiet, but I, I turned up my volume and I was able to hear. Thank you, Nelda. What a great question.
0: So the I, one of the reasons I think that this question is so good is because I used to have a different perspective on this. My, my understanding of this has changed. And so I think it could be a good conversation. I wouldn't say that I am, uh, you know, I haven't been concreted into my understanding of it quite yet. Um, so I'm willing to see any evidence or hear any uh, suggestions on this. I'll tell you what I used to believe. And then you can tell me, uh, tell me what you believe. And then I'll tell you what I believe now. How does that sound? Will that be fun? Let's do it. What I used to believe is this: that uh, we would, we as believers, and you know, I used to take a a very hard line against mainstream Christianity and the church. Uh, And I think that our listeners, especially in the past year or two, have realized that my my view on that has significantly changed. Um, And and so my previous view was that uh, basically the uh, messianic Jewish movement is what was going to provoke the Jews to jealousy. And uh, they were going to do this by keeping the, the Torah. <clears throat> and what that meant was essentially looking exactly like the, uh, the Jewish, in other words, taking, the, uh, taking things like the kippah and the, and the tzitzit and the uh, synagogue form of worship and all this kind of stuff and, and doing these things, and the Jews were going to be jealous of that and tell us not to do that. Uh, and that was going to provoke them to jealousy and they were going to then um they were then going to um, come to Christ um that is not what i that's not where my headspace is anymore what do you think rob go
1: what do i think of where you've changed to
0: no what do you think of of oh
1: i think romans 11 I, 14 i 15? think there's a couple ways first of all it's a it's paul's in chapter 10, he cites Deuteronomy 32, the, the Song of Moses, where, where it says, I will make you jealous by a, by a non-people, by those who are not a nation. And um, Paul's applying that to the gospel going out and Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And I, I think it could unfold and have more than one, uh, expression, I think one is the hyper, uh, the emergence of the rabbinic system, and the the you know the Mishnah and the Talmud. I think that that could be understood as a symptom of jealousy. That um, you have the Bible being translated and spread, even the Torah and the prophets into new languages and being taken throughout the world. And it wasn't the rabbis who were doing that, right? Right. But it, it was those <laughs> and people dying, right, for a Jewish for their Jewish king. That that uh, you know for the first, I'm talking the first three centuries of the church, um, and so you have this. Wait a minute, this is ours. This is not yours, and and it's a fleshy reaction. So you, we can one way to understand the history of the rabbinic the emergence of rabbinic Judaism, what do they do? One of the first claims that the rabbis make is that we have an oral tradition that goes all the way back to Moses, right? They don't. Why do they need to create the myth of the Judaism of the two Torahs is because the, because what we call the Christian church, just, I know that's a messy term, but just, you know, the had such a powerful transformative effect on world history and all, and, and, and this love of God, that was like nothing that the Jews had seen because they were not taking the, their message to the nations and translating it and giving their lives to spread it. They weren't doing that. And I think that this insulation move that we see in the rabbinic world over the last 1500 years can be viewed as one symptom of that jealousy, but that it doesn't end there. I would not say that's exclusively the expression because I think there are times where even to today, when you see, and maybe Caleb, you're not so ready to see this, but I, I'm not against that there can be times in our world today where non-Jews who are pursuing Torah and loving God is going to annoy sure. people like your to- Toby Singer and um, uh, those kind of people. And they're just going to, they're going to just throw rocks, even if it's, you know, with with Singer, it's... Uh, word stones right it's not literal stoning he's just stoning with words though right. right but they they are enraged and in their enraging getting enraged they're going to attack and they're but they can't it's not sustainable to just attack until unless they can also affirm some truth about their own tradition and it forces them to go deeper into what they believe the torah to be and it's in that environment that there are going to be some that are going to come to faith, and and I think God is faithful. That in every generation there are there are Israel, you know, that will come to faith. But this is it's a great question. That's just my initial response.
0: So yeah, I don't see a problem with this uh, with this verse. In fact, I think it's uh, super easy, barely any inconven- inconvenience. But the, here's here's the thing, <laughs> is that uh, I think Rob, you're you're absolutely right. I think what we're touching on here, what I'm touching on here, is is two things. First of all. I, the notion of like messianic Judaism provoking the Jews to anger is one thing. I don't necessarily think it's jealousy all the time, and, and we we need to clarify a lot of this because I agree with you, Rob. I think that there are times, and I'll give you a story here in just a second. Uh, there are times well, when uh, keeping Torah, yeah, when there <laughs> uh, there are times when a uh, when someone will keep Torah and that will provoke the jealousy. But as a whole, the Messianic movement, I don't think is provoking to jealousy. I think it's provoking to anger. You're stealing Oh, something. I would
1: agree. I think that they're in, I guess, and this gets to our last week's conversation of what is Messianic Judaism. I think there's institutionalized Messianic Judaism that is like shameful. Right. And that, and that I think the rabbis are laughing at those people. Right. And that's, I, I agree with you there. and. I think we know of recent examples of that that yeah, we don't I, even talk I, about. I, yeah.
0: I, I think that a lot of the the uh, outside Jewish world they look confused.
1: And, yeah, they're like they're like pretend these, like these they're people, it's like. They, I, I think
0: yeah. that they look at, at, at some, not all, but some of the messianic Jewish world, and they say these people are playing Jewish. Yeah, they're agreed. dressing up and they're playing Jewish, and that's and that's, that's
1: not going to fulfill
0: it. That's not that's not jealousy. That's anger. They 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 think that they're appropriating culture. Now, yeah, I, I now, now for story time, I knew this wonderful, wonderful lady. She uh, was in uh, ministry in multiple different ways her entire life. And one of the things that she was very well off, she was very well off. She's with the Lord now, but she was, uh, she had no need to worry about spending money ever. And she had a nice little apartment in Jerusalem and, uh, she had a house here in Washington state and she would travel back and forth. She had houses other places too, but she would travel back and forth from Washington state to Jerusalem on a regular basis. And she started to hang out with the, uh, ultra Orthodox. And she did this by going to Arab Shabbat meals and whatnot at uh, various, uh, Hasidic, uh, uh homes. Mm. And, uh, she was very open about the fact that she was a Christian and, uh, they, they started to ask her questions because she, was never necessarily, she wasn't never she was necessarily trying to cram the gospel down anybody's throat or anything like that. She was simply showing up and, and uh, enjoying the Arab Shabbat meal and, and uh, enjoying the Sabbath. And uh, they started to ask questions about that. And she said, well, you know, I, I, I keep the Sabbath and I keep the festivals and I do that because, you know, my, my, I believe Jesus did that. And I want to do what Jesus did. And what they weren't offended by that. They weren't offended by her wanting to keep those things. What they were was astonished by the fact that there was a Christian who had such a personal relationship with Christ that she wanted to do the things that he did. And this is what I think is going to provoke to jealousy. And we see this already in the entire Hasidic movement. Why? Because, you know, what is the tzariq? The Tzadik, in my opinion, the Jews saw the Christians and this personal relationship that they had, this intercessory relationship that they had with Christ and and the Father, and they got jealous of this. And so what did they do? They created an entire theology based on the Tzadik which is a ripping off of, of what Christians have said about Christ for 1,700 years when it came around, right? Um, the, the notion of this person interceding and going into the heavenly temple and all this kind of stuff, this is a direct ripoff of Christianity and the Christian theology that, that uh, has been per, uh, pushed in the church and in the scriptures for ever since Christ and even before that, right? And so this is the jealousy that I see, is this, this want to have this deeply personal relationship with God through Christ and uh, s- having the Messiah with us and in us and uh, and then wanting to live out the scriptures, not because it's a checklist of rules. You know, what what's my checklist today? I see a lot of Judaism going down the, the checklist boxes. Oh, did you, you know, did you daven this way? Did you go get a mikvah today? Did you, was it before this time? You know, did you did you fast properly? it's all these checklists and you know for this one woman that that I'm thinking of, of there was no checklist it was this unbelievably beautiful relationship with with Christ and a and a deep love and want to do what God wanted her to do because she loved God and she knew that God loved her because she was indwelled by the Holy Spirit this is something that Judaism doesn't have and this is where I think the jealousy comes in. And, and when we see the prophecies of finally Israel turning to Christ, what happens? Save us, right? Finally, they turn to Christ. And who appears? It's like, okay, here we go.
1: And and another aspect to that, particularly, you know, I don't know the woman you're talking about, but her desire from her heart, what uh, the motivation was from her heart. She didn't need 2,000 years of accumulated halakhic tradition to right. guide her right. to... to that that's how she needed to behave. Right. She didn't need an extra biblical rule book. All she had was the scripture and of course, the apostolic writings of the, the gospel message and the person of the, re, of the resurrected Messiah a new heart. And that's all you, that's, that's, that's it. Um, So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great, and the, and the, great the funny, question. The funny
0: thing is, is that if you, if you look at the the tables that she was sitting at in Jerusalem in Maya Shireen, by the way, you know she's going into Mea Shearim, which if you don't, if you've never been to Israel, Mea Shearim is the ultra Hasidic. Uh, you know you don't you don't walk into Mea Shearim if you're a woman without long sleeves, or you know it's you'll have problems, because these people are they are devoted, and she's walking in and sitting down at rabbis' tables in Mea Shearim. She hasn't done all the things for the Shabbat that that Judaism says you have to do. She hasn't observed the way that they're going to tell her to observe, yet they allow her to sit down at the table. They allow her to have a meal, not once, not twice, but many, many times. She was invited back to these tables many times, and she's with the Lord now. But the point is, is that she was a witness in Meisharim for Christ. And it wasn't because she was, you know, because she was doing all the Jewish traditions that we see. It wasn't because she was keeping a Hasidic home or anything like that. It was because she loved Christ and she was doing what she thought Christ wanted her to do. And right, this is right. And, this and,
1: is and what... the, and the, the core of jealousy in the way I'm reading it here is that the person has something that you want. Right. Right. I, I just did a quick search. I think one of the first places is Rachel, uh, Rachel, you know, uh, wife of Jacob saw that she was not giving, ha- having any children. And she saw that, um, her older sister Leah was bearing children to Jacob. And it says she, she was jealous. It's like, like there's something she didn't have that she desperately wanted. And she saw it in someone else. And that is the core thing of what's called uh, of jealousy of, of what's and God's using that. And that's what the scripture is saying. God's using that fleshly emotional response to to put put his finger right on the heart of the issue. Do right. you love me, right? Do you, do you love me? Do you really love me? And and if you really love me, you you have to love Yeshua because you can't you can't you can't love you can't love me fully, right? You're going to you're not really loving me unless you
0: love my son. See, so, and and once again, this is not necessarily a down on messianic Judaism. That's my point here is that when when uh, mainstream Judaism looks at the messianic Jews say in Israel or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that there aren't messianic Jews that the mainstream Jews see and say, "Oh my word, these people have something that we don't." I'm not saying that. Could be right. But when when they look at messianic Judaism, what I've read from the mainstream Jews in Jerusalem, they say they that what they're saying is, "You're doing it wrong." That's not correct. Not we right, don't, right.
1: If 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 they're telling you actually you need to submit to our authority, and right. then you have a, a believer in Yeshua saying, "Oh, okay, we'll submit to your authority," that that makes the there's no jealousy there. Well, and not only that, but they, but
0: what they're saying is we have it. And you're doing it wrong in terms of yeah. Torah observance.
1: They're not saying yeah. you have not, nothing we want. You need to you need to uh, submit to our authority. That's, and so
0: this is why. And and once again, I don't want to down the. You know, I've met Messianic Jews in Jerusalem that that obviously love the Lord. There's no doubt about it. I have, I'm not trying to say that there's not. All I'm saying is that the the traditions themselves, keeping the tra- the Jewish traditions, I don't believe that that is what would. Uh, Bring a a traditional Jewish person to jealousy. What brings them to jealousy is this personal uh, love
1: and relationship with God through Christ. That That's Jesus- why, on this note too, and this is a maybe a tangent, but those groups in Israel that are right—they're Hebrews, their first language, they're Jewish, but they're they're um, evangelical. Um, worldview is shaped by kind of the American evangelicalism. And so they just view Israel as another mission front. And what we're going to do is we're just, just like, if we were in China, we're going to do some Chinese things. Uh, we're in Israel. We're going to do some Jewish things like we'll do some Sabbath and we'll, but they have the It's like we're, we're, we're doing this only as a mission. um effort to missionize, not because it's, it's something we're, we're not doing it out of love for God. We're doing it out of, to build connection so that we can teach them the secret handshake at some point. Right. And I, I, I am, I don't falls see that flat.
0: as a, it falls flat and it, it falls flat because it's, it's not done out of a love for, it, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard for me to think of like chocolate. Maybe, maybe that's a good analogy. You know, I can tell you, and because of my wife, my wife loves chocolate, and she's even said chocolate doesn't make me feel good physically, but it makes me feel great spiritually, so I'll always eat it. <laughs> and so because of that, we've tasted, we've tried to taste different chocolates. You can always tell when you're eating a, you know, a, a mainstream like Hershey's chocolate or something, because it doesn't taste like real chocolate. It tastes oh, like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it has that, that fake sugary taste in it, right? You can taste the white sugar wax, that's been added. Wax and white sugar, yeah. That's right. But when you taste a, a really good piece of chocolate, you know, you can it, you can taste it on the back of your tongue. And the thing is, is it's the same with people who are, are keeping the Sabbath because they think that I'm going to get in and I'm going to evangelize a bu- bunch of people through this. That's not the reason to do it. If you're not doing it for love of God, then you're, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And it, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It means you should you should check your you should check your heart, right? I mean, like, okay. It's been a good conversation. We have more, by the way, and I will be back. So w- let's see here. Today is the nineteenth. Yes, we will have a show next week, and then we're off. Uh, I am going on a much-needed vacation, and uh, I think Yay. we'll be gone for maybe one week, possibly two weeks, um, and so. I'm, I'll have to check the, the calendar, but I think it's actually I think it's actually going to be two weeks. So um, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to uh, apologize too much for that. But we after that break we will be back for more of the great conversations. But we will be back next week as well. Uh, so we hope to, thanks for the great her. voicemails. Yeah. yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And if you want good. to, I mean, we say be a part of the conversation and we really mean it. If you want to, uh, if you want us to talk about something, please give us a call two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. You can also shoot us an email, chegg at dot C H E G G at torahresource.com. All right, everybody. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters.